0: Let us pray. O God, the Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful, sanctify this congregation by your abiding presence. Bless those who minister in holy things. Enlighten the minds of your people more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Bring erring souls to the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and those who are walking in the way of life keep steadfast to the end. Give patience to the sick and afflicted, and renew them in body and soul. Guard those who are strong and prosperous from forgetting you. Increase in us your many gifts of grace, and make us all fruitful in good works. This we ask, O blessed Spirit, whom with the Father and the Son we worship and glorify, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Um, so before before we begin the class, which will be an introduction to the pastoral epistles, I have an introduction to the introduction, in which I do not presume that everyone in here knows who I am. So I'll introduce myself briefly and then introduce the class and sort of the structure and how we're going to go about it. At least how I've planned it. God willing, that everything works out the way I think it should. Um, My name is Brian Lilly, and we started attending Grace about a little under two years ago now. Um, Prior to that, my family and I were at another church here in town for 13 years, 12 years. Uh, It all kind of runs together, so about 12 years. And for the majority of that time, I served as a deacon in that church um, before, within a few years of coming here, uh, being installed as as a pastor. My wife, Sam... Um, was on the worship team for about all 12 years, I think. Um, now, I, I decided that uh, everything was going too well and too good for us, so I upended our entire theological tradition uh, just to make things interesting. But um, in, in, a, in a time of difficult transition, this church has been very gracious and loving to us and has made that transition very easy. And so we we thank you for that. Uh, we, are, we are so grateful to be here with you. Um, my wife, Sam, and I have been married for 12 years. That's right, right? 12 years? Fantastic. Uh, we also have two kids who are 6 and 4 who we've had the honor of having baptized here at Grace Anglican Church. Um, so I am thankful to be able to be up here and and teach this class for the next however long it takes Uh, we love this place we love you all and we're we're thankful for everything that happens here Um, but that's that's enough about me we're not we're not here to talk about me although I could Um, (laughs) let's let's take a look at the class itself so over the next few months uh, about 13 weeks, I think, uh, with some breaks in between, uh, we are going to be st- uh, studying the pastoral epistles together, and that is the the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, as as we'll see, these three letters all share a lot of similar themes. They were uh, addressed. Two similar issues and similar problems. They are written at roughly the same time. But there is a difference, a marked difference, between 2 Timothy and the other two epistles. The reasons for that will become clear as we dive in. Um, But it it has a different focus, it has a different nuance and tone to it. And so I, I thought it best when trying to design this class that we should break it up into two parts. Um, I'll bring this up now. Um, and each part will have a little bit of a different approach to it. So because 1 Timothy and Titus are so similar, they share so many themes, they even use the same language at times, um, they're written about the same time, uh, we, will, we will tackle those two letters together. If you think, wow, that's, that's a lot of text at one time, let me, let me just affirm your thoughts. It is a lot of text at one time, and so the approach that I'm going to take for that part of the class is that we're going to go thematically through the letters, um, and that will take the first eight weeks. Now, that's not that's not going to take. We're not going to touch on every verse of these two letters, but we're going to do a lot of it. Um, and so, Second Timothy which is different, and I'll go through this uh, outline in just, just a moment. But second Timothy, as I said, is, is quite different. So that will be the second part of the class. And because it's shorter, and we'll be handling it uh, by itself, we will just be going through the text. So paragraph by paragraph, about a chapter, or maybe half a chapter at a time. And that will take up the last five weeks of the class. You will see as we go between the two parts what we what we learn about in 1st Timothy and Titus is going to appear in 2nd Timothy it's just that the, the focus St. Paul's focus is much different um, and his tone the nuance that he brings out of the things that we learn about in 1st Timothy and Titus are all different so here is our outline week one is an introduction to the pastoral epistles That's that's where we are now. Week two is going to be dedicated to looking at the false teachers and the heresy that they're teaching. We'll get to this in a second, but one of the major occasions for why 1 Timothy and Titus is being taught is that false teachers have come onto the scene in both Ephesus and Crete, and they're just wreaking havoc throughout the churches. And so, in order to understand the rest of the letter, we're gonna understand the problem first. What what are they doing? Like what are they teaching? What's what's going on that St. Paul thought it necessary to address it very strongly in the pastoral epistles. After week two, we're gonna we're gonna get into what Saint Paul basically considers an antidote to the false teachers, and that is sound doctrine. It also means healthy doctrine. Sound and healthy are going to be synonyms throughout the pastoral epistles i think i tend to use sound but um, healthy doctrine or true doctrine good doctrine in the first two weeks of looking at that which will be weeks three and four i just realized it was confusing to say it that way weeks three and four are going to be focused in some way on the gospel so we have the gospel the church and good works what are the relationship between those things and then uh the gospel and holy baptism that, that's sort of a special week uh, to address a very particular set of verses that show up in Titus. In week five, we'll look at sound leadership, and so holy orders and church ministers. That's a, a big chunk of the middle of, of First Timothy and and a smaller part of Titus. But um, we have he has Saint Paul has lots to say about the character of leaders. Week six will be. Is that right? Yeah. Week six will be sound relationships. What does it mean to be the church? In the epistle, in the pastoral epistles, one of, one of the, I want to say metaphor, but you're going to under, we'll see in week six why metaphor is too weak a word, but that we are the family of God. So what does that mean? What does that mean about how we relate to one another? Uh, week seven is going to be a fun one. Sound obedience, Christians and authority. Uh, I'm greatly looking forward to teaching that. And week eight will be entrusted with the gospel, which just brings First uh, Timothy and Titus to a close. Now, when we get to Second Timothy, um, we have five weeks, as you can see: fidelity and suffering, fidelity and in ministry, infidelity and in opposition. Fidelity anchored in holy Scripture, and fidelity to the end. Perhaps by this outline, you can start to get a picture of what is different about Second Timothy. Also, I have almost finished some supplemental supplemental material. Um, it is not required reading. I will get that to Pastor Nick to to hand out or hand out. What age am I in to email or do something <laughs> electronic with? Soon, um, I actually have to rewrite part of it because I finished our, uh, this lecture last night and made some changes. Um, it, the goal for that is that it has whatever I cover in class and more. Uh, it, it has the paper trail for my research and everything else. So that if you are interested or because I talk a lot, I realize I'm running out of time, and I can say, hey, uh, if you wanna follow this more, check out this material. That's what it's for. It will also have some questions for reflection with each chapter. Uh, If we have time in in our classes, in our lecture, maybe we can dig into that or have something more like an open question and answer, but I'm not worried about that because, again, I talk a lot, so. I'm not anxious about saying ask whatever you want, because we won't get there. (laughs) Anyways, let's actually get into our introduction of the pastoral epistles. I've, I've built this around five of our question words. Who, what, where, when, why. I think in the supplemental material, I actually have how, so there's there's a preview of how it differs. I went with all six questions there. But for, day, for today, we're going we're to look at five of them. Why should we study the pastoral epistles? Who are Timothy and Titus? When were the epistles written? If we start running out of time, that's, that's one of the ones that's probably going to be skipped. Or, no, the next one is going to be skipped. Where were Timothy and Titus ministering? Uh, spoiler alert in case we do have to skip that part. Ephesus and Crete. Like <laughs> that's where they were at. Uh, what are the and what are the main themes of the pastoral epistles? Um, my goal for today is for this class to be the most boring of the thirteen lectures that we have, and so far I'm succeeding. So we're go- we're going good. Um, that being said. Um, this is an introduction. We're not we're not going to dig into too much scripture today. That will begin in earnest next week. So, why should we study the pastoral epistles? Um, that's a that's a fair question. The pastoral epistles are, are quite a bit different, not only from the rest of Paul's letters but from the New Testament in general. And there are two main concerns, which one coming out of the text itself and the other kind of coming from a history of interpretation that might make people wonder, why are we taking 13 weeks to study the pastoral epistles? The first concern is that unlike the rest of the New Testament letters, St. Paul addresses the pastoral epistles to individuals. And so the question may naturally arise from that as, are they even meant to be read by other people? We also have Philemon who is addressed to an individual, but in Philemon 1 and maybe 2, I forget how it's divided up. It, It specifically says to Philemon and some other people and and the church which gathers in Philemon's house. So even that, being an individually addressed letter, says from the get-go that the church is being addressed. We don't have that in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. So, should we even be reading these letters? The second concern that uh, comes from a history of interpretation is the title, the pastoral epistles itself. It makes it seem like if they're for a larger audience, if they're for more than just 1 Timothy or 1 uh, Timothy and Titus, then you know, that audience is likely to be limited just to pastors. So what does it matter to us as a congregation? Um, by virtue of me teaching this class, I hope you realize that I, I don't think any, either of those hold merits. Um, but let's, let's talk about them a little bit. So the specific recipients of, of Timothy and Titus, are they written only to them or for the benefit of the whole church? And the answer is yes. It is a both and, not an either or. St. Paul has written these letters specifically to Timothy and Titus. And he does that because he's addressing particular problems and issues um, that were that they were facing at a particular time in a particular place. But this is true of every New Testament epistle. It's just that the particular people and places are largely the congregations that they were written to. So Paul writes specifically to the congregation in Corinth. Twice. Actually three times. Uh, which... If you know anything about Corinth, you probably could have written even more. We have two of those in <laughs> Scripture. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, actually, when we get to Titus. But um, So every letter in the New Testament is written to specific people in specific places at a specific time. More than that, though, uh, the text itself gives us a clue as that, to the fact that there are a wider, there is a wider audience in view. And just as an example of that, we have the end of 2 Timothy, which I tend to translate grace be with y'all. What we miss is he says, the Lord be with you, singular you, grace be with y'all. And so even Paul acknowledges at the end of that and, and throughout that this letter is going to be read by more than just Timothy. By writing these individual personal letters, one of the benefits that we get as the church is to see Paul at work. We see his ministry in action. We see his pastoralness. We see the way that he disciples his young leaders that are following with him. (coughs) We see his affection for his friends and his concern for their fidelity. And getting an inside view of something like that is only to the benefit of the church. First Corinthians 11 1 Corinthians 11.1 says in one of the most difficult passages of the New Testament, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The pastoral epistles give us an opportunity to do just that. Now, the second concern is the title itself, the pastoral epistles. So even if it is for more than just uh, Timothy and Titus, the, the title seems to suggest that it is for pastors, some sort of pastoral handbook or manual. The title didn't even exist until the early 18th century. Now, if you're like me, every time you hear something like that, you have to, like, work with that. So it's like the 1700s. I think 1705, maybe. Um, it... it the title didn't even exist until then. And then the reason it was given was to just summarize the fact to or acknowledge the fact that the recipients of the letter were just doing pastoral work. It has nothing to do necessarily with the contents itself. So they're not pastoral manuals. And as I hope that we see, these letters are filled with both theology and application that benefits the whole church. They are deep wells of God's heart for the church and his concern for us as members of God's church. To bring this out a little bit, um, I'll quote myself. Oh, to be fair, I'll quote Pastor Nick quoting myself from a couple weeks ago. In these three epistles, the Apostle reveals God's vision for what it means to be the church. Namely, the church is God's faithful family living out God's mission of making disciples from all nations. This is not... To me, in considering even just these few things, and we could keep going... Uh, we can at least say as the church that these letters are beneficial. We should, we should be studying them, we should be reading them. But those none of that is the main reason that we should be studying the pastoral epistles. The main reason that we should be studying the pastoral ep- epistles is because they are Holy Scripture. And Holy Scripture, as we will see in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17... Is God's very word to us sufficient in all things pertaining to our salvation and godliness? That is bottom line the reason we need to be studying and diving into the pastoral epistles. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 which we will be looking at again by the end of this class, God willing. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. That's what we are about. We are diving into God's word for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness because in that, we see the glory of God and his graciousness to us in the gospel. Through scripture, all scripture, even the weird scripture and the hard scripture, God being God and doing what only God can do will reveal himself to us. And as our pastor likes to quote rightly, he will not send his word in vain. God's word accomplishes exactly what it, he means for it to you. It will accomplish the purpose that he has for it. And that's why we're here for the next 13 weeks, give or take some breaks, studying the pastorals. So <clears throat> that's why we should study them. They are God's holy word to us sufficient for our salvation and godliness. Now, in order to better understand that word to us, the second question that we are raising today is, who are Timothy and Titus? Because as we as we dig into these things like who they are addressed to and when they were written and, and where they were Ephesus and Crete, um, we can better understand the context in which Paul is writing. So, Timothy is first mentioned in Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. This is during St. Paul's second missionary journey. So there's three missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts. This is during the second one. And he is either from Derby or Lystra, commentators will pick one or the other. They're sister cities, so, um, you know, roll the dice and go with whatever one pops up. That's where he's from. But he's from either one of those two. Now, Timothy was raised by his grandmother and his mother. We find that out in Second Timothy. They were devout Jewish women who raised the Timothy in Holy Scripture from infancy. So Timothy, has his life has been saturated by the Word of God his whole life. His life whole life, yeah. They taught him Holy Scripture from infancy. But by the time that we meet Timothy in Acts 16, he is already a disciple of Christ. Now, 2 Timothy 1 uh, tells us in, in a sense that Timothy... Timothy's grandmother and mother probably became believers before he did. He is certainly young and younger in Acts 16. I don't, I don't know if they, um, if if his grandmother and mother became converted under the preaching of St. Paul. Timothy likely did. So maybe there was still that angst and rebelliousness once they converted and. He had to hear it from someone else first. I, we don't really know. We just know by Acts 16, uh, Timothy was a disciple of Christ. And not only that, but he was well known in the region for his faith. He was well spoken of, Acts 16, 1 through 3 says, by believers, not just in Derby and, and Lystra, or Lystra, Lystra, but also in Iconium, which is the part of the, the larger region. When Paul shows up and he meets Timothy and, and hears all these good things about him, he invites him to join with him. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment that when you're reading, it's kind of like when you're reading the Gospels and Jesus is like, hey, you follow me. And they're just like, sure. All right, let's go. And you're like, really? <laughs> like, you're just going to go, huh? All right. It's, it's kind of like that. St. Paul shows up, invites Timothy to go, and then all of a sudden, uh, for the n- next several decades, they hang out together in various ways. It doesn't mention this in Acts 13 or 14. During St. Paul's missionary, first missionary journey, he actually, he, let me phrase it this way, he's been here before, and it was during his first missionary journey. It doesn't mention Timothy there, but these exact cities of Derby and Lystra and Iconium are places that he visited before, which is why we think, we, royal we, people who are smarter than I am, because I'm wise in my own eyes, uh, think that that's where Timothy heard the gospel, was through Paul's proclamation in that first missionary journey. Um... We also think, royal we, this is why (coughs) Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. That it has to do with being converted under his ministry. The problem with that is not the idea itself. It's that family means something much more in the New Testament. It does clue us in that he was probably converted under... Paul's ministry, but once you are in the family of God, it is more than just a connection of who converted who, who brought who to Christ. The family of God is stronger than any biological or legal connections that we have. And we're going to explore that in, in week six. That's just its a preview. That's a taste. So it's more than conversion, but it's not less than It probably isn't less than. He probably was converted under Paul's teaching, preaching. But here's the thing. Not including 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Timothy is mentioned in 8 of 11 of Paul's letters. Six of them, he's in the greeting. You know, the part of Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the church in wherever. In six of those letters, you will find something like... um, is it up there? Yeah. First, or 2 Corinthians 1 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy to the church of God that is in Corinth. Timothy is there right with him. He may even be writing as Paul is dictating his letters. And several of them do. Timothy probably personally brought the letter to the church because that was a very important part of Timothy's ministry is, uh, well, St. Paul has the spiritual gift of delegation okay so he, he hands he, he Timothy probably got delegated uh, the job of writing the letters and then in several of those he also got the delegated uh, gift to travel and bring the letters to their recipients six of the eight that we find his name in he's right there beside Paul in fact it was this delegated ministry um, that leads Timothy to Ephesus to begin with. Titus, we know uh, less about Titus, but still we know that he was just as prolific in his ministry as, as Timothy. He's not mentioned in the book of Acts at all. However, we know from his mentions in Paul's other letters that he was right there too. Probably for the whole thing. In and he Titus gets specifically mentioned in Second Corinthians and in Galatians. Timothy, or Titus, similar to Timothy, was probably converted under Paul's preaching. He was converted. Um, Timothy had devout Jewish a devout Jewish grandmother and mother who, who brought him up in the faith. Titus was a pagan. Uh, he, was, he was Greek through and through. Um, he was, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons and whatever pagans do. Um, and under Paul's proclamation, uh, uh, under Paul's proclamation, he, he was converted out of Greek paganism. And he became just as prolific as Timothy in, in sharing the ministry with Paul. Paul's title for people like Timothy and Titus is Co worker, fellow laborer. Um, they were right there in the midst of it with Paul, traveling, proclaiming the gospel, uh, sometimes handling the dirty work, as we'll see in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, but Titus, like Timothy, is called a loyal child in the faith. And again, I don't think this is just conversion, although that's certainly a part of it. In 2 Corinthians, where he's mentioned the most, uh, he is mentioned as being, bringing a painful letter to the Corinthians, and which makes me wonder, like, how painful is this letter? Because First and Second Corinthians are not fun reads. Um, and but he brings them this painful letter in between First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. We don't have any record of it, which is probably probably better for the Corinthians. Uh, that post posthumous uh, embarrassment would, would probably skyrocket. But then he's sent again, and he's he's probably sent with the second letter uh, this time. But he goes there in order to to get together a collection, an offering from the Corinthians. Um, for the sake of churches who are struggling in other places, and so he probably all, he probably brought the epistle with him when he did that. So Titus's Timothy is or Titus's ministry is very much like Timothy's, where um, they are sent and they do ministry and they try and help the churches and they proclaim the gospel and then they come back and they hang out with Paul for a while and then they get arrested and then they write more letters and then they go back out. Um, and so they had this very prolific ministry, and their life is basically spent uh, ministering with Paul. So, these were these epistles are written for the church. They are, they are God's holy scripture to us. They were written to Timothy and Titus, uh, two young men who were converted under Paul's, preaching from two different backgrounds. I should probably have a lecture on what that might mean, but uh, I, you're safe. Um, But they come together and they get sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel. So when was this happening? Well, here's a general timeline. Uh, Again, this will be uh, probably in the supplemental material eventually, but it will also be on these slides, which you can get on the website. So uh, you don't have to memorize this timeline right now, is what I'm saying. The basic gist is this. Second Timothy was written shortly before the death of Paul. Paul was martyred by the Roman Empire, particularly under Nero, Emperor Nero. Um... uh, who <laughs> I'm trying to think of how much I, I should get into this. Basically, a big fire was set in 64 AD. Uh, Nero was blamed almost immediately by people, and he's like, oh no. Um, it was the Christians. Basically, the, it was the Christians. Let's get them. That started off a fairly localized but intense persecution of the church. Um, that That was 64 until about 68 AD. The reason that that Nero's persecution stopped in 68 AD is because he died by suicide. Um, (coughs) Two years before that was the great Jewish and Roman war that ends in 73 AD. And within that is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD as was prophesied by Jesus. In Matthew twenty-four and Mark thirteen, so there's a lot of like that's not even touching the surface, that's barely touching the surface of the history that was going on at this time. So how does that help us know when these were written? Well, if Nero died in sixty-eight A.D. and Paul was martyred by Nero, logic hopefully says Paul was martyred by Nero before sixty-eight A.D. Eusebius or Eusebius, who is a church historian of eh, quality, um, puts his death at about 67 AD Paul, uh, his martyrdom. Most scholars um, put it at 64 or 65. So that's our bound that we're going to go with for 2 Timothy. It was it was written likely about 65 AD. That is uh, an approximate date. Um, so what does that mean for 1 Timothy and Titus? Well, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in prison at Rome. So this is his first imprisonment. Uh, there was another imprisonment under, under Nero where he was martyred. So this was the first. This was, That happened around 59 AD. He was probably released between 60 and 62. As you can see, history is an exact science. Um, and so... Between 60 and 62, in 64, 65, let's call it that, um, Paul was out and free and gallivanting and, and whatever it is that Paul does on a fourth missionary journey. This one is not recorded in the book of Acts. So it is during this missionary journey, this fourth missionary journey, that Paul does what Paul does, which is um, preach the gospel, write letters. Uh, make people feel bad about how inadequate they are and then give them the gospel Um, and so to give some time for traveling and ministry uh, first Timothy and Titus there's no real hint of persecution happening in those letters so it's probably likely that they were written sort of at the near the beginning of that release so 62 to 64 A.D. So we have a span of, you know, about 62 to 65, um, 62 to 67, if we trust Eusebius, of, of ministry in which all this is taking place. So things apparently go wrong in Ephesus and Crete. Uh, Crete, as, as we'll see, is probably, probably never really got off the ground very well. Um, and then uh, they're sent there to minister. And um, shortly after that, persecution breaks out. Paul gets arrested. Uh, He writes 2 Timothy. And then Paul gets martyred. So that's kind of what's going on at this time. So did he write that in prison? He wrote 2 Timothy in prison, yep. Um, Ephesus, like I said, Ephesus and Crete. We're going to skip this. So we need to quickly get through major themes. So, the, the major theme of 1 Timothy and Titus is that uh, there's false teachers who are teaching heresy. It's, it's the big problem addressed there. Now, what's interesting about this is that Paul rarely explains their theology. Um, it seems that Paul is most concerned with their behavior, the fruit of their theology, which is very interesting for us. Because um, let me see where I am. Because one of the things that it does is it has a negative effect on the reputation of the church and the gospel in the area. St. Paul does not have our cynicism that he assumes that, well, there is an assumption that the world will hate the gospel because of what it says. But then he's not so cynical to say that how how should I put this? The way that we present the gospel to the unbelieving world matters. We're going we're gonna to dive into that because it, it is probably the most surprising aspect that has come out of the pastoral epistles for me. We assume the world is just going to hate us being Christians and that's true to a, to a degree but there is a also a degree in which we are control in control of their reaction to us beyond a hatred for the gospel and what it says about their own natures uh, the weeks on the gospel is going to be okay so what is that relationship between the grace and mercy shown to us through the gospel um, The Holy Spirit's empowerment and equipping of us for ministry and and how we then go out into the world with that. Uh, There are two major influences that we can discern within the false teaching, which is uh, Jewish mysticism and, and Hellenistic dualism. If those words mean nothing to you, that's what we're looking at next week. So hang on for the ride. Uh, I'm bringing up a lot of points that uh, I think are intriguing and make us uncomfortable and, and we, that's what this class is about to, to actually flesh them out in light of the framework of the gospel um, which I will anchor a little bit in, in just a second. So in 2 Timothy that, that aspect of the false teaching is still there but it now has this nuance of suffering persecution Paul, like I said, is writing this from prison. He he knows a little bit about those topics. And so he writes to Timothy to encourage him in the midst of proclaiming the gospel and this ministry that he's been doing for three to five years that doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit. The false teachers are still there. And he writes to him to say, share in the suffering of the gospel. Persevere under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're dividing the class in two. But that will be weeks nine to 13, so now you have to hang on to that one for a little bit. Overall, the meta-theme, and we'll we'll be finishing with this, that is the one theme to rule them all, um, is that of fidelity. Now, what is fidelity? Well, fidelity is faithfulness. But we have to be careful because our culture loves faith. They love faith. They put their faith in a lot of nothing. But they have faith, and that's what's important. (laughs) Fidelity in Scripture is a faithfulness with a concrete object. It's faith with or to or in something. Fidelity is faithfulness with a concrete object. It's also faithfulness with time and direction. We are in this for the long haul. This is not... We are not... This is not a conveyor belt faith. We are. It is the least efficient thing. Christianity is the least efficient thing I've ever seen if we define that as putting out the most product in a short amount of time. Because it takes the long haul. And what's good about that is our fidelity over that long haul is rooted in God's fidelity to us. So fidelity to God, fidelity to the gospel and sound doctrine, fidelity to one another, fidelity to God's mission. These are all ways of expressing the sub-themes of the letter which are sound doctrine and its fruit, uh, a bunch of verses there that I'm not (laughs) going to... Supplemental material. Um, Sound doctrine and its fruit. Worship and mission. Family and relationships and perseverance. I will quote this one. All of 2 Timothy. That's what all 2 Timothy is about. Gospel-empowered perseverance. But we have to keep in mind as we go through these, and Paul will remind us that if I can if I can paraphrase the Apostle John, we are faithful to God because he is faithful to us first. The, the faithfulness and the fidelity of God is towards his children is embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ and lavished upon us in the power and the empowerment and the equipping of the Holy Spirit who takes his residence in us. And out of that, we live a life of fidelity that looks a lot like stumbling. It's a life of repentance, as Martin Luther clearly teaches us. And it's through this embodied uh, fidelity and the person and work of, of Jesus Christ given to us in the gift out of God's mercy and grace through the Holy Spirit that calls us, redeems us, justifies us, purifies us equips us and keeps us it is not in our own power it is God's power working through us and I can't think of a better expression of that than Romans 8 31 through 39 and we'll end here with this what then are we to say about these things if God is for us who is against us Or hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, peril, or sword. As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life angels nor rulers things present things to come powers height depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord Amen, Amen. next week we're going to start looking at the false teachers and the heresy um, weeks three or four after that we will be looking at the antidote which is in the gospel and then after that it's a free-for-all I don't have the I don't have it in front of me so I've no idea what's going on <laughs> um, again supplemental material it, it will, uh, it's helpful for me too um, yeah so we that brings us to an end um, five minutes over I will stick around if there's questions I told you I told you we wouldn't get around of questions so please uh, come find me if you have any questions I know I, I Okay. Um, Thank you all so much. Hopefully see you again next week.